Oh, man. That last song that we sang is one of my favorites right now, and it is one of those that, like, there's no, like, just kind of singing a little bit. It's all in. So I don't know if it's a joyful noise to the Lord, but it is a sacrifice of my voice every time. My voice is cracking like a junior higher up here. <clears throat> so, anyway, hey, there's nothing wrong with being a junior high. I'm just saying <laughs> it happens. So we... Um, January is one of those times where typically as a church, we come before you and say, hey, we want to let you know about our vision that's going to shape this next year. You guys know the last couple of years that vision has had probably the greatest influence on our teaching schedule. So, for instance, two years ago, our vision statement was we want to be rooted. We really wanted to root ourselves deeply in the, the truth and the theology of the Bible so that we wouldn't be kind of blown and tossed by all of the different teaching of the world. And so we, that year, focused on the book of Romans to give us some foundation. Then this last year, our focus was branching out. And we said we want to not just be inward focused, we really want to look beyond the walls of the church. And so we studied, naturally, the book of Acts, recognizing that that was the beginning of the early church going, what does it look like to begin to take this gospel message beyond the comfortable walls that we find ourselves in? We also found at that time that God was calling us to a new outpost for global missions when we said we want to do Costa Rica as a place that we're going to start investing ourselves in. And over Thanksgiving, we went down there, and it's looking like at this Thanksgiving, we may be going back down, which I'm really excited about. This year, however, as we began to pray and to think about what, what do you have for us, God, we began to recognize that he was calling us to, to something more than just a vision change. It wasn't just let's, you know, what is the new thing that's going to shape this year of Lighthouse? We felt like he was calling us to take our purpose statement, the thing that kind of is the operating system for how we operate as a church, and to lay that on the altar and say, God, what do you want us to do? What are we going to be about? Now, some of you are going, well, what's the purpose of a purpose statement? How does that really affect us? Well, a purpose statement is for us, and it's for anybody who would come and check out the church to recognize what we are about. It gives us several different things. First off, it helps give us a clear sense of direction, right? It helps us say, this is where we are headed. This is where we're going. We have a very clear understanding of what God has called us to. Secondly, it helps give us a sense of, of focus because we can begin to use that purpose statement as the lens through which we look at every single thing that we do as well as those opportunities that come our way because there are always opportunities for new uh, ministry and new, new outreach and stuff. <clears throat> and it gives us the ability to look at it through the lens of our purpose statement and says, does this help us? actually fulfill that purpose or would this just be a distraction to it because there's lots of good things that are not necessarily what we need to be focused on thirdly it gives us a sense of unity where every single one of our ministries whether it be sunday services to our small groups that meet throughout the weeks in people's homes to all of our outreach opportunities from the harvest gathering to our preschool to our missions trips all of those ministries begin to say we are part of this purpose, whatever that purpose happens to be. And then finally, it gives us a sense of accountability because we as a church, as leadership, can then take our purpose statement and say, how are we doing? How are the things that we are currently investing ourselves in fulfilling what we feel God has called us to do? And it also gives each of us who call Lighthouse home an idea of, okay, if this is what the church is about, 
am I in? Am I willing to be pulling in the same direction? And what is my part in this? Because I'll tell you this, guys. We are not interested in just gathering a bunch of people to sit in stands while the professional Christians do ministry. As Christ followers, we believe, according to Ephesians chapter 4, that, that God has called the church to be an equipping place so that all of us who are called to be ministers, that's all of us, every single person who has, who has said yes to Jesus Christ is a minister of the gospel. All of us have a part to play on the field, and it is our desire that each of you, if you call Lighthouse home, wouldn't just come to observe, but would come to participate. And so what does that look like? And those are the kind of conversations that we want to have over the coming weeks and months. So that's all intro into what our purpose statement is. This is it. This is what we are going to be about. And this is going to shape not just this year, but the coming decade and even beyond, I hope. Lighthouse Community Church is committed to making disciples who love God, love one another, and love our neighbor. I'm going to say that again because it's, it's kind of everything that we're focused on right now. Lighthouse Community Church is committed to making disciples who love God, love one another, and love our neighbor. Now, what I love about this purpose statement is that it not only gives us our purpose, which is making disciples, but it gives us the very process by which we hope to make disciples, helping us lean into our relationship with God and say, how am I doing there? Leaning into our relationships with one another, making sure, how am I, you know, am I walking with other people in my life? And then finally, loving our neighbor, looking beyond the walls of this church and saying, how are we being ambassadors of hope into the community, into the spheres of influence that God has uniquely planted each of us in? That's what we're going to be about. Now, <clears throat> I would imagine some of you are asking, well, wait, why making disciples? Why, why wouldn't our purpose be worshiping God? Why wouldn't our purpose be advancing the gospel or, you know, evangelism? Shouldn't that be our purpose? To which I simply answer, it is our purpose because it was Jesus's purpose. It was his major focus. In the three years of ministry that Jesus had, walking around, pouring into people, his predominant focus was bringing a few people along behind him and training them up so that they could then share what they had learned from him with other people. And so when he ascended into heaven, he was no longer there. His disciples actually continued the ministry through the enablement of the Holy Spirit. It was his plan. It's not, it's not insignificant that in the New Testament alone, there are 269 references to the word discipleship, metithes, but but there are only two references to the word believer and only three references to the word Christian. So obviously Jesus wasn't focused on making believers or Christians so much as he was focused on making disciples because it was his focus, it's our focus as well. And furthermore, the very last command that he gave to his disciples was go make other disciples. You guys know this from Matthew chapter 28. The very last thing in the book of Matthew are these words. Jesus speaking to his guys right before he ascends into heaven. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, I'm not leaving you. 
I'm not going to abandon you. But now go and continue to do what I have been doing. So some of you are going, okay, well, we're called to make disciples, but what does that mean? What is a disciple? And how is that different perhaps than a believer or a Christian? The word disciple itself means a student who learns from his master by following him. And that is the central word there because typically when we think about being a student or a disciple, we think of of what you guys are experiencing right now in school, right? You sit in a chair, you got a desk in front of you, you got some paper, the professor, the teacher kind of drones on about stuff and you try to write it down. And typically that information is just that. It's information that you're hoping is probably going to be on the test. And so you better learn it so that you can regurgitate it on the test. And then you can go on with your very merry way. And at some point your teachers keep telling you this will be important. At some point you're going to use it to balance your budget. Or, or when somebody asks you what the capital of Washington is, you can tell them. I didn't, re- I didn't learn that part. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> I think it's Olympia, but I'm not 100% positive. Okay, so, so those kind of things are important, but it's information. The, the term disciple is radically different, however, from that. Because a disciple is more than just a student who is learning intellectual information for intellectual information's sake. A student is a follower who would follow his teacher, his master, his rabbi, wherever he went, and he would listen to what he was saying but he would also watch what he was doing. And then he would emulate what he saw. He would actually put what he was learning into action immediately. So as the, his rabbi was walking along, they came to a meal. The rabbi would go and wash his hands. And if he washed his hands a certain way, then the disciple would come up right behind him and he would wash his hands in exactly the same way. As the rabbi was walking along and he saw somebody on the road, if he greeted him, good afternoon, then the disciple would greet him too. Good afternoon. But if the rabbi just walked past that person and didn't say anything to him, then the disciple would do the same thing, learning from watching and then implementing it right away. And that's the major difference of what it means to be a disciple is that they are following, learning from, and then implementing it right away as they journey through life with their rabbi. And so there there came this statement, this blessing that you would give to a disciple In that day and age, they said, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. In other words, may you follow so closely behind your rabbi as he's walking along that you literally get caked in the dust that his sandals kick up. Not just the information that he's sharing, not just the examples that he's setting, but but being that close, that intimately connected. And that is what we want to be about as a church. Not just making Christ followers who who know all the right answers, not just making people who, who can tell me what the Bible says or even having memorized whole sections of the Bible. We're not interested in simply making believers who know all the words to the songs and can speak Christianese. We are absolutely focused on helping all of us, and that includes myself, to become followers of our discipler, of our rabbi. Of course, this begs the question, well then, who are we following? Who is our rabbi? Who is our teacher? Is it Lee that we're trying to be discipled to? Is it me? I certainly hope not. Because if you're looking to me to set the example of doing it all right, you are going to be disappointed. I'm going to tell you that right now. Instead, 
We want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Every single time, that is our answer. He is our focus. We call ourselves Christians, which just means little Christs, and that is our hope, is that we would become more Christ-like in our lives. Now, obviously, doing life together and being discipled, it, it happens so much better in community with one another as we kind of interact with other people who are on the same journey, learning from one another and all those other kind of things. And so doing life with other people is extremely important in this process, but the focus must be and always will be Jesus Christ. We, all, we want to constantly point ourselves back to him and say he is our focus. He is the model that we want to emulate. He is the one that we want to become more like. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, one important thing I really want to point out here is that discipleship is not optional. There's, a, there's this false belief that's kind of percolated through the church that there's two types of Christian. There's a believer and then there's a disciple, as if disciple is a, a, another level of super Christian. And the vast majority of people are believers, but if you're ready for the big leagues, if you have advanced enough in your teaching, you can become a disciple. And I've got to admit, in some ways we as a church have perpetuated and I'm not, I'm not talking about just Lighthouse. I'm saying Church Universal has kind of perpetuated this mindset that there's a separation between believing in Jesus and accepting him as our Savior and then following him as our, as our disciple or rabbi, right? Learning from him and, and emulating him. And we have done some of the damage when we focus on simply praying a prayer. And we put all this emphasis on, if you believe in him, then pray this prayer. He will come into your life and it'll all be good and you will be saved. End of story. As if that's the final chapter, as if that's the finish line, as opposed to that being the starting line to a lifetime of following him. Because I've got to tell you guys, Jesus never once invited somebody to pray a prayer. He was constantly saying, follow me. He comes along somebody at a tax collector's booth. This guy is certainly not acceptable. He would be the last person anybody would think that Jesus would choose as a disciple. And yet he looks at this guy and he says, come on, follow me. He looks at a bunch of fishermen. Hey guys, drop your nets. Come follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Time and again, he invited people who, from a, a, a social standpoint, were not people you would have expected a rabbi to choose. And he said, follow me, learn from me, watch what I do, and then you will do even greater things than I have done. That's the invitation. And it's not optional. In fact, one of the things that Jesus said in this part, I read this passage, and, and it kind of scares me a little bit because it's so sobering. You don't need to turn here, but in Matthew chapter 7, can we actually throw it up on the board here? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, get away from me, because I never knew you. That's sobering to me because we in our, in our Western minds have separated accepting Jesus as our Savior and actually following him as our Lord. And we cannot, that's not an option to us. We need to choose 
if we are going to accept him as our Savior, we need to choose to allow him to be the Lord of our lives and submit our lives. That's the invitation. So, so discipleship's not optional, and it's also not momentary. It is a lifelong process. I love this quote by J. Oswald Sanders. Can we throw that up on the board here? This is, is probably too small for everybody but you four and you guys in the front rows here to read. Let me read it for you. J. Oswald Sanders says this, The temper of our times is for instant gratification and short-term commitment. Quick answers to prayer and quick results with a minimum of effort and discomfort. But there is no such thing as easy and instant discipleship. One can commence a walk of discipleship in a moment. Praying a prayer, that's commencing a walk of discipleship. But the first step must lengthen into a lifelong walk. There is no such thing as short-term discipleship. In other words, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter for how long you have been following Jesus. This may be your first time you've ever stepped foot into a church. Or... You may have been going to church for the last 75 years, been raised in the church. The invitation for every single one of us, regardless of where we're at, and regardless of how long we've been walking or not walking, the invitation is the same. Follow me. Learn from what I did. Learn from what my Father says to you through my word. Learn from what the Holy Spirit lays on your heart, and then act on it. Guess what will happen as you do? Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you just do what I say, if you do what I show you to do, Jesus says to us. So this is for all of us, not just for those who are beginning their journey and not just for those who have already kind of committed and been walking for a long period of time. It's for all of us. It's an invitation. Follow me. Now, what does this mean for us as a church? Because that's the big question. If this is going to be our purpose is making disciples, followers of Jesus, how does that play out here tangibly? First of all, it's going to become the lens through which we look at every single thing that we do. We are going to look at them and say, does this help us make disciples? So we're going to take our Sunday morning services, and we're going to take our small groups, and we're going to take our missions trips and everything else in between, and we're going to hold it up to the light of this purpose and say, do these things either underline or undermine what we're trying to do? Some of those things, we're going to say, it absolutely underlines it. It makes a point. It helps us get there. And those things we're going to continue to do, but it's going to have a newfound focus of that purpose of making disciples. Some of these things are going to be like, yes, it helps us, but we're going to need to tweak it. I think, for instance, of the harvest gathering. And I say, wonderful opportunity to connect with our community. But how are we making Christ-centered in there? How can we be doing a better job of connecting with people in that particular iteration of, of reaching out to our community. And then thirdly, there are going to be some things that we look at and say, these are great, but they really kind of undermine our focus of making disciples. Therefore, we're going to strategically abandon those things. And in the coming weeks and months, we're going to be looking at every single ministry that we do, and we're either going to refocus it or we're going to let it go so that we can really run fast and straight in this direction. Today, right after church, Lee and I are going to be gathering with all of the small group leaders, and we are going to have this conversation about small groups. How can we submit it 
to this focus of, of making disciples. And I've got to tell you, we are not going to strategically abandon small groups. They are probably the single greatest vehicle through which we are making disciples here at this church, and we want to continue to do that. However, even our current small group ministries can be more focused. So that's going to be one thing, and all of those things are going to be run through it. That is how this purpose statement helps us as a leadership focus the direction of our church, gives us some accountability. But it's not just for us. It's also for anybody who walks into this church, anybody sitting in a pew this morning, and anybody who comes after us. It is a clear declaration that this is what we're about as a church, and then it gives you an opportunity to ask the question, well, what is my part in this? Because I've got to tell you, um, <clears throat> everybody walks in with mixed motives in coming into church. And there's typically two different postures we take when we try to figure out what type of church we want to be a part of. I think they probably align with a couple of different pictures that, that I've got this morning. Can we throw up the first one? The first picture there is of a cruise ship, right? I love cruises. In fact, Kathy and I try to go on cruises once a year because they are a time to rest and get rejuvenated to reconnect because we do not take our children on cruises. That is our vacation. <laughs> Trips are when we take our kids. Vacations are when our kids are not with us. And cruise ships are vacation time. Okay? The reason I love cruise ships is for a couple of reasons. One, the food. I love that they feed me and feed me as much as I want. Right? And it's good food typically. Number two. I love the entertainment. Kathy really likes it, right? Because it's, it's, it's free, it's fun, it's enjoyable. Thirdly, there's an entire staff there to wait on us so we don't even have to clean up our messes. They clean it up for us. I love cruise ships because virtually nothing is required of us. The only thing they ask is for some of our money up front. And then we can just be and do. And, and you know what? If we feel like going to dinner, we can go to dinner. If we feel like not going to dinner, we don't have to. We can get hit, hit the midnight buffet, right? If we feel like going to a show, we go to a show. If not, we just go back to our stateroom and watch a movie, read a book, go take a nap. It doesn't matter because it's all going to be happening there and we can show up when we want or not show up. I love cruise ships because they're relaxing, but imagine if I lived my life on that ship. First off, I'd get a little fat pretty, I'd get pretty fat really quickly, right? Because discipline, when it comes to that kind of food, not happening. I would also get pretty lethargic pretty quickly because I'm not, there's no real responsibility for me. I just get to hang out and let other people do stuff. And it would very quickly make me very self-focused. How are you meeting my needs? What, what do I want? All those kind of questions. The reason I give you this picture of a cruise ship is because some people approach church shopping like that. What kind of food do they serve here? Do I, do I like the teaching? Does it, does it speak in a way that I enjoy? Is it entertaining? Like, is the worship the kind of worship that I like? Is it upbeat? Is it fun? Is it loud? Or is it not too loud? Because I, I don't want it to hurt my ears. What about, you know, the program? Do they have all the programs that I could possibly need for my family so that they will be kind of shaped in the way of the Lord? Because I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to be a spiritual leader for my home. I need them to do it for me. And then finally, I just want a place where it's comfortable to come. I, I don't want to, you know, if I, if I have other things going on, my kids are in sports or there's a really good football game on that Sunday, I don't want to be expected to be there. 
but when I come back, I want it to be like I never left, right? That's the kind of church I'm looking for. And, and we wince a little bit, but I think that a lot of us tend to choose churches in that kind of a fashion. What is in it for me? Now, in contrast to a cruise ship, let's throw the other one up there. We've got a clipper ship, right? A couple of things right off the bat. Right now, Don, in his outline, is, is scratching out the American flag and putting the skull and crossbones up there. He's like, I commandeer this ship. All right, our resident pirate. A couple of things right off the front that we notice when we look at the clipper ship. First off, it's much smaller than a cruise ship. And it can be because it doesn't need all that space for entertainment. It's not, it's, its purpose is not to entertain. Its purpose is to run fast and straight and do the, to do the tasks for which it was commissioned. Perhaps the biggest difference between a cruise ship and a clipper ship is that a clipper ship is not predominantly there for passengers. In fact, there are virtually no passengers on a clipper ship. Everybody is a crew member from the captain all the way down to the guy who swabs the deck. Everybody has a purpose. Everybody has a part. And all of them, although they do different roles and different tasks, all of them are focused on the same thing, which is to do whatever the clipper ship was commissioned to do. Of course, they still need to eat, so some people are feeding them and they still get fed. Of course, they need a place to sleep and be taken care of, so they have a place that they sleep, but it's not all about their comfort. And of course, they still are human beings who want to have interaction and to be entertained, so there's entertainment that happens, but it's them doing it together as opposed to them simply coming and passively being cared for. People who come to churches and choose churches based upon this clippership kind of mindset have this major distinction. Rather than asking, what's in it for me? How am I going to get fed? Their question is, what's my part? Where are we going and what do I need to do to help us get there? Now, I don't need to tell you which type of ship we want to be. It's very evident that this is the kind of ship that I pray our church will be. The kind of ship where we say, we're all in this. There's not a group of people that does all the ministry and everybody else just kind of sits passively and says, take care of me. And our invitation this morning is for you to get up off your deck chair and to get in the game and say, am I in? Now, I got to tell you, if we are becoming this type of a ship that says we exist not simply to take care of ourselves, but we exist to do what God has called us to do, namely to make disciples, then a few things are going to, to happen. First off, we are not going to try to meet every single one of your desires in a church. We are not going to have programs that hit every single life stage. It's just not going to happen. We don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the size. And that will undermine our attempts to be focused on, on making disciples. Secondly, we are going to ask far more of you than your money. We're going to ask you for your participation. And that's going to cost many of you far more than it's, it's easy to write a check for some of you. It's a lot more painful to say, I'm going to vote with my body. I'm going to bring the skills and the talents that God has entrusted me with, and I'm going to bring them to bear on this thing. And, and at this point, some of you are going, I don't even know what that would look like. 
And over the coming weeks and months, that's something we're going to enter into is exploring what does that look like for you to bring who God made you to be to bear on this purpose that he has given us as a church to make disciples. A couple of things this does mean. Number one, are you willing to be a disciple? If we're being called to be disciples, are you willing to be one? And that means not simply showing up to church to get some good information, writing it in in your outline, slip it in your Bible, put your Bible down, and then you don't touch it again the rest of the week. You kind of go on, you know, you're walking that thin line between Saturday night and Sunday morning where you're living any way that you want throughout the week, but come Sunday morning, that's my God time. Setting it apart, and then you go right back to your regularly scheduled life. Are you willing not only to learn about Jesus, but to follow him and allow him to be the Lord of your life. Secondly, are you willing to join us in this call, this commission to make disciples? And that means joining us in in, in pouring into other people, inviting others along the way in your spheres of influence. Because I live 150 yards down the street. I interact with a lot of people in this area, maybe over at the YMCA, and every once in a while I'll go into... Cafe Rio or Cabo Grill. Those are kind of my places where I am frequenting. But you guys are in a lot of different places, whether it's Santa Ana or Irvine or down in South County or Huntington Beach. And you run in different circles in different schools. Are you willing to be a representative of Jesus Christ there? Are you willing to say, God, here I am. Help yourself to my life. I don't know what this looks like but I'm willing to bring my skills and talents and abilities that you've entrusted to me, that you have developed in me over the course of my life to bear on this call to make disciples. And what I want to do right now is I'm going to invite you, if you say yes, and I understand you don't know all the answers to what this is going to look like. It's kind of like when when somebody asks you to get married and you're like, Yes, okay, we're getting married. You have no clue what that really means, and it's something that grows as, as you kind of get into it, and you go, oh, this is what that means. And then the next week you're like, oh, I thought that was, the, this is what, and you continue to learn along the way. And that's the point of being a disciple, is we learn along the way. But here's my question to you. Are you in? Are you willing to join us in this adventure called following Jesus as a church and submitting everything that we do to him? If the answer is yes, I'd just ask you to to stand up. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, let me do this. I'm just going to pray a prayer of commissioning over us because I'm in this too. And this is exciting and this is scary. And there are some of you are going, well, I have a lot of questions. And guess what? We do too. This is a five, ten year vision. This is much larger than one year. We don't have all the answers yet. And I would ask you, if you've got questions, voice those questions. If you've got ideas, voice those ideas. But we're in this together. So if you just bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Father God. Here we are. We are your children who have been called by your name. We thank you for loving us. And now we bring ourselves and we say, help yourself to our lives. We long 
to have that kind of relationship with you where we are walking in lockstep. We are, we are being covered in the dust of your life as we follow you, as we learn from you every moment of the day. We invite you to enter into every aspect, every nook and cranny of our lives and to be the Lord of those areas as well as just our Sunday mornings. We ask that you would help us to discover what it means to follow you. I ask that you would surround us with others who would encourage us and spur us on as we follow you. And I ask, Father, that you would then turn us around to begin to pour into others, to be examples of hope, examples of, of you in the spheres of influence that you place us in. We thank you that you use imperfect vessels like us to represent you in your perfect love. And now we simply say, you are the Lord of this church, not Lee, not me. You are God. Have your way with us. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, we are going to go into a time of worship. This is response. This is an opportunity to just say, God, what you've been working on, I want to respond right now and I want to give you the praise and make you the focus. If, it, if in any way you have things that you would like prayer for, I'm going to ask a couple of my elder couples up front, a couple of them in the back, okay, if, if several of you would go in the back. If you want prayer, find somebody who's standing up. And now let's just worship God.